Fortune 500 consultant, trainer, military veteran, husband and father, your host, Dr. Aaron Bryant. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Dr. Bryant Speaks. Our show, of course, is for all those military veterans and families out there in the world. My name is Dr. Bryant, also a veteran with the U.S. Army Airborne Rangers, university professor, entrepreneur, and your host. Now, if you are new listening to this broadcast, I want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. I started this because being a veteran for many is no easy transition into being a civilian. However, it is not easy for our family members either. So we need to collaborate and learn how we can support one another. If you're a returning listener, I want to say thank you and welcome back. I hope you've been enjoying the shows on YouTube or even listening to any of your favorite radio podcast networks, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. We're now on Geezer, Podcast Index, etc. Just type Dr. Brian Speaks. Now, the same on your social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and believe it or not, we're even on LinkedIn. Just type Dr. Brian Speaks or just go to my website, drbryanspeaks.com. Okay. All right. Enough of all that logistics. I have a great show for you today. Now, my guest today is pretty phenomenal. She is a licensed psychiatrist, nationally recognized experts on initiatives that benefit the military community. Now, you guys know I don't just bring anybody on this show. I do my homework. I do my research. I also look for referrals. And she is definitely a trusted advisor on veterans and military families. So you know I had to bring on the show because her motto is similar to my own. So to make things more impressive, she is also an author of this amazing book called Warrior. I've already looked into it. I'm having a hard time reading it. I'll be honest. So veterans, go ahead, open it up, take your time. But I'm going to tell you, it is a page turner. She is apparently gaining all of the trust around our military nation. So everybody, I want you to say hello to the listeners, Dr. Shauna Springer. Thank say you, hello. Dr. Aaron Bryant. Good to be here. <laughs> yes, well, yes. Good just to have one, you. one really quick clarification. Um, I'm a licensed psychologist, ah. not a psychiatrist. So okay. you gave me an upgrade to the MD there that I did not earn. And uh, right. I never want to be a stolen valor kind of person. So um, I don't do medication, but I am a psychologist. Uh-huh. All right. Well, see, that was a test. I wanted to see how you're going to respond <laughs> to that. No, I'm kidding. Thank you for that clarity. You know, I have psychiat- psychiatrists and I also have a psychologist and I always tend to do that. So thank you for the clarification. I appreciate it. But that's actually a good point because now we can segue into your education and talk a little bit more about your areas of emphasis. So that way our audience can get to understand who you are. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I really have been um deeply embedded in the military and veteran community for over a decade and i think my piece to play is in the psychology of what drives our nation's warfighters our warriors um, and those who are wired like warriors Um, so the psychiatrists focus on the biological systems i work with some wonderful psychiatrists and i come in with the the psychological insights and that's what warriors about um, should I call you Dr. Brian or Aaron? Oh, we're on the show. Call me Aaron. We already established a friendship. I'm All right. Go. Cool. Good. cool. Right, right on, Aaron. Um, <laughs> so it's basically, you know, everything that um, I wish I had known. 
10 years ago when I started working with warriors that I didn't know, that I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And so I've learned a lot over the last 10 years and I always learn more. So I'll probably learn something today. You know, that's interesting because, you know, again, I'm speaking from my personal perspective. However, I'm pretty sure a lot of my veteran listeners uh, can relate. It's really tough when you go into that room to meet with somebody and we feel like there's a level of obligation because VA wants you to do so if we're going to either get any assistance and that's either financial, mental, whatever. So there's an obligation and then we sit there in front of this person and we have to open up and that's going to take, you know, it's almost like an act of Congress to do. How is it that you're able to gain that? Because usually, you know, you got to have something common denominator to be able to get that trust. So it sounds like you're pretty successful. I've seen, I read your book. I went, well, I didn't read it, but I'm going through it. But I can see all of the credits. I see all of the commendations and the support from a fellow military community. So you've gained that. What did you do? Well, I, you know, I learned, I think, to set aside what I thought I knew and really listen deeply right. to the pain of the person in front of me and to understand that, you know, you talk about the obligation. I understood pretty quickly that my patients were looking for a reason never to come back. <laughs> I can relate to that. Right. And I understood that when I came in and replaced the really good doc that was there before me, that they were really attached to, I was the FNG in the room. Yes. So I didn't even come in neutral. You know, I came in from this huge deficit of trust. And the last 10 years for me has been about, can I earn that trust? Can I hold that trust with the people I'm here to serve? And if I can, and I have, uh, then anybody can, if they understand that process. Yeah, that's you. You definitely started from the negative, trying to gain your way to neutral. Because if you already had it built a relationship with a previous therapist of some level, it's hard to start again. And I'm gonna tell you, yeah. just from a personal perspective, when that person you built a trust is ripped away from you for whatever yeah. reason, either they transferred, promoted, or whatever, to have to start again, that's one of the hardest things I know personally to have yeah. to go through. So kudos to you. Absolutely. If I had a dollar for every veteran that I inherited on my caseload who said, I don't want to start over with a new person because there's a cost to that transfer, because there's a trust, as you said, it's, it's to me in my world, it's an attachment wound. Yeah. When you lose the relationship with somebody that you develop that deep trust with. And so they were not coming in excited that fresh troops had arrived. They were understandably really angry that they had lost that attachment. Yeah. Um, and so I had to earn that trust with my patients and then with each person that came in. And over time, as I, I learned more and listened, it was much faster. It was much more accelerated the more that I could say, oh, okay, I understand. And one of the things that, that I did was I changed the standard measures that we ask. You know, typically in the military, someone like me, is looking out for troop readiness. So they're doing an evaluation of people's strengths and deficits, but it's high stakes for the service member. And so it's not the fault of the psychologist, they're doing their job. They have to look out for troop readiness, but from the perspective of the service member, it's, I don't wanna go see the wizard, you know? They could make me disappear from the military. So 
That thread of logic continues into the, the VA setting. And when we ask nothing but you know, deficits, problems, assessments of symptoms, we are communicating in subtle ways. I'm the expert in the room. I outrank you. There's that obligation that you talked about to respond if you want things. That's not the basis on which you form a relationship of trust. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more because honestly, a lot of us would just walk out because, hey, you know what? I, I don't have to do this, but it's a necessity for us to do it. But we don't know if we actually need that. Our egos are sometimes in the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, always, you know, is it safe? Can I rely on this person? And so what I came to learn is that the first story that you hear is not the story you need to understand. Mm -hmm. When someone yeah. sits down with you for an intake, uh, usually it's a test of trust. I can't tell you how many of my patients months after the first time we met said, you know, when we first met, I was really suicidal. I was drinking every night. I was thinking about ending my life. They wouldn't tell me because they didn't know that I wouldn't immediately, you know, react and put them in an inpatient ward or mm -hmm. I would say overreact because mm -hmm. now I know that thoughts about suicide are common among people. This is not a veterans issue. This is a, a common thought process. And if we overreact to the thoughts that come from people's hidden pain, we'll break the trust. Absolutely. You know, I you, what you just said, I, I'm gonna, I really want people to hear and understand that. I don't think that's something that people were aware of in this, re, in, you know, in the later period of time, because I mean, I try not to be so personal on the show, me, me myself, but the thing is that I cannot stress enough what you just said, how important that is to recognize, because if, if we were to go on back a decade, immediately you're 5150, immediately. You know, so thank you for saying that. Um, you know, one of the things I, you know, I say on my podcast show that I teach at the university level. And when I go into my class, I have sometimes a lot of vets in there and I typically win them over because I'm a vet. Um, I, you're not, are you, are you a vet? First of all, I want to put that out there. I didn't see anything that demonstrated that, but I want to give you an opportunity. Are you a vet? No, I am not. But okay. you know what? Because I've built trust with and partnership with veterans, I've been able to make a quantum leap in developing that trust through something I call the principle of transfer of trust, which is very simple. It's if a group of veterans trust that veteran, someone who's a natural and organic member of their tribe, mm -hmm. if that veteran says, you can trust Doc Springer, she gets it, I, I can skip three, four months of us feeling each other out yes. and just get right to the work and get right to the pain and get it addressed. That is very true. Absolutely. That personal reference, that personal referral from a veteran does give you leaps and bounds. But I will say something that is very impressive. And, and as a fellow academia, you went to Harvard. And so you may not have the veteran status, but you definitely got the education status. So I have to ask, you know, what was your favorite part of being a Harvard alum? I mean, that's pretty cool. That gives you some validity there as, as well. You know, yeah, no, I'll, I actually think it's a disadvantage to me really? in terms of building trust. Yeah, but um, but I'll answer your question first and then tell you why I think that. Okay. Um, so my Harvard years were some of my favorite years of my life. And I loved the people that I met there. It was a place where 
I could say and explore intellectually a number of fascinating things without feeling like people were going to put me down for sounding smart or thinking I was smart. You know, it's just everybody was there to like figure stuff out and put thoughts forward and be intellectually curious. And I hadn't felt that kind of safety until I got into that environment in terms of my intellectual exploration of important things. At my 20th reunion, I led a panel for people who chose unconventional careers. And I talked about my decision to really go on mission to support our nation's warriors. When I went to the VA, because of what you were talking about, I don't want to start over with someone new. I approached that like a two enlistment, like two term deployment. I stayed eight years to the day, started on my birthday and finished eight years to the day later because I didn't want to be that person that left and promoted out or whatever, because that trust means everything to me. Um, so the reason, I'll tell you a funny story, Erin. There's a Harvard diploma on my wall over there and it's a fake, <laughs> um, but I did graduate from Harvard. So it's not, you know, it's not an unethical thing. It's just that I lost my diploma in a move <laughs> and I had a boss when I was in private practice with a kind of well-heeled, like very um, high achieving population, he said, I need you to put your diploma on the wall. And I, um, I don't put a lot of stake in like a diploma. I think the work needs to be good or people will be able to tell that. And I'd rather kind of stand on my work rather than like an external credential. So I just, I, I didn't like have it. I didn't even know where my diploma was. So my husband was my college sweetheart and he had graduated from Harvard as well. And so I had friends that had skills. This is like kind of like a little bit odd, but stick with me. So we just doctored his diploma, changed the year. Um, and uh, that's what I put on the wall. So it's totally factually true. Um, it just isn't my original diploma. Hey, you and, know what? It's okay. I lost my <laughs> diploma too. And if I can find, yeah, so if I find some friends who can do one for me, I'll do the same thing. I mean, as long as you're in the records, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and if the work isn't good, like it doesn't matter if you have the diploma. I was, uh, I was in the ocean body surfing the day that my PhD graduation, like commencement happened because mm. that was a more meaningful rite of passage to me. Um, than, than sitting through the, the speeches. I, I know it's important to a lot of people. I don't want to, you know, but for me, I've just not put a lot of stake in that. Personally, I think you need to show up and do the work. And that's the most important thing. So um, anyway, I have this diploma. And ever since I was in the VA, I haven't wanted to put that really on the wall of any office that I've worked in with veterans because it sets a condition for the relationship that I am like an officer with this higher education and that I outrank them. And mm. I don't want that relationship. Being There's a difference to me now that's very clear between being a, a doctor or a doc. And a doc is, as someone in special forces, you, you would know this, explained to me long ago, a doc is somebody that um, you would trust with your life that you trust their competence to do what they can to save you um, and that you're in good hands. And a medic is somebody that tries their best, but a doc is a different level of trust. And so docs, um, they're different than doctors. And that's what I wanted to pattern my practice on 
and be the kind of person they trusted, like the the people they trusted in the military. And that's not about rank. Trust outranks rank. That is so true. You know, it's funny you say that because you just took me back to my my squad and our platoon. We had a doc that's assigned to our platoon. I really liked him. He was cool. He's the guy we go to. We trust. We didn't even think twice about it. And coincidentally, I'm in a motorcycle club. They call me Doc. And you just ah. kind of validated that, that name. So there you go. Quite impressive. I'm glad you said that. Um, I have to think about what you said about having that degree on the wall because and maybe because I'm just an academic, I um, my perspective about it might be a little different. Um, for me, I think if I, I was trying to visualize if I walked in and saw my therapist went to Harvard, I was thinking that there would be a level of me putting my life into this person's hands that they had the background the skill set the education they invested in themselves that i would feel that they had the skill sets to do so now again that's my own personal perspective and i but i admire what you're saying because it is about what you deliver and not what you you know sometimes and i've heard this in the past some especially with all these nonprofit universities popping up that you can buy your education so i can appreciate what you said about proving the work and the value of performance. Well, you and I, Aaron, we, we exist in at least two tribes, probably more, right? Mm -hmm. And in the academic tribe, I absolutely want to. When I go to a conference, it's Dr. Shauna Springer. It's not doc, that doesn't really mean something to the right. academic tribe. And the work and the credentials um, are a way of establishing trust. Right. But right. I realized that I'm at a like a deep disadvantage. I didn't serve in the military. You know, I don't have those experiences. And there was this perception among patients that if I'd spent so many years in higher education, that must mean what did I really know about real life? <laughs> and I would rather do a sneak attack and let them come in with no assumptions about right. who I am and show them through the, our relationship development, what I understand and right. who I am. Because really, I mean, I didn't serve in the military, but I had a very like militaristic upbringing that was like an extended boot camp. And my parents, uh, they got us up at five in the morning, several times a week. We ran around the track in the dark. We would compete in the local track meet with uh, t-shirts that said property of my maiden name. Um, they sent us alone to off in South America. Uh, a lot of trips, actually, you talked about traveling to Mexico. My first trip when I was 10 was to Mexico City to live with and minister to families that, people that lived in the, the municipal garbage dump, which was the second largest in the world at the time. So as a 10 year old, I flew down there with a photo in my hand, find this family, you can trust them. You will live with them and minister with them and align with them around their ministry work. And so I didn't serve in the military, but I had all of these experiences that were wildly unconventional that helped me understand and instilled in me a culture of service and um, courage and commitment to my values. And so there's a recognition that happens with warriors, even though we've had different experiences. There's enough uh, underlying commonality in our driving values that we can connect usually pretty quickly these days. 
Wow. Yeah, you know, I'm, I want to move on, but I have to make a comment. I'm just glad you as a gringo was able to come back <laughs> home because you're the cartel would have snatched you up and who knows what would have happened. So I'm glad you're safe. <laughs> yeah, there were some dicey moments. Like, yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> not going to lie. Like, you mix like being from a different culture and then having like raging hormones as a teenager, you know, and sneaking out at night in countries that were not very safe at the right, time. Right. There were some, yeah, there were a few touch and go moments that my parents still don't know about. Um, so let's not go there. But, you know, I had a whole life of adventure um, and exploration before I ever went into psychology. I hope you have been enjoying the show. Well, do not go anywhere just yet. We have a continuing episode with Dr. Bryant Speaks. 